Welcome to Crossroads, the broadcast ministry of Montgomery's First Baptist Church, where you can discover God's personal plan and power to conquer your problems through Jesus Christ. Join us now as God's Word heals, encourages, and enlightens your spiritual life. Please come with me to John. John chapter 6. We'll start in verse 16 in a moment. It may assist you to have this simple sheet of paper entitled, Make Jesus the Captain of Your Boat. Remember, the dullest pencil is sharper than the sharpest memory. So when God speaks to you, capture it. Heard a funny story about these children who went to a Catholic school, and as they came into the cafeteria, there was a large bowl of apples. And the nun had placed a sign beside the bowl of apples, and it said, only take one apple. Remember, God is watching. At the very end of the cafeteria line, there was another bowl, and it was filled with chocolate chip cookies. And a kid had put a sign beside it that said, take all the cookies you want, God's watching the apples. Now, sometimes we have that mentality that God is limited. But here's the great good news. God not only has His eye upon the apples, He's got His eye upon the cookies, and He's got His eye on everything. He's got His eye on you and me. As a matter of fact, the Scripture declares that Jesus not only sees you, but He knows the intimate thoughts and details of your heart and your mind. And what's more, Jesus knows specifically the difficulties that you deal with, the storms that you face. That's why He wants to be the captain of your boat, so that He can help you navigate all of these treacherous storms that you will deal with. Well, if you'll make this note, let me state the obvious. Jesus predicts the storms are coming. We all inherently know that's true. Life seems to be a parade of problems, doesn't it? one difficulty after the other. Uh, let's go to John 16, verse 33. It's boxed there on your outline. And just to harmonize our heart with the Lord Jesus and His great truth, let's read this together. Read it with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, my friend, let's insert or troubles, storms. We know that in this world there are many storms, and particularly in a place like Alabama, we know about storms, don't we? I did a little research on tornadoes. Do you know how many tornadoes we've had just this year? It's 53. The average over 30 years is 46 tornadoes a year. Now, if you race back to 2011, you know what they call the super outbreak of storms did. From Tuscaloosa to Birmingham, it was the most severe tornadoes ever recorded in our state. It was April 25th to the 27th of 2011, and 238 people lost their lives. Countless others injured in billions of dollars worth of property damage. Storms are real. They will hurt you. You need to have some help in facing the storms that are coming your way. And a storm is a metaphor for personal difficulties. And maybe some of you right now are facing an EF5 storm in your personal life. Maybe it's in your finances. Perhaps it's in your family. Maybe it's in your personal health, like the Langers have been dealing with 
when just a few days ago they heard their precious daughter had cancer all in her body. We all have these storms that we must face. That's why I want you to ask this question. When you face the inevitable storms, how do you respond to them? Do you give in? Do you give up? Or do you dig in and look up and invite Jesus to be the captain of your ship? That's the goal of God. Well, let's come now to the Scripture and see how Jesus captained a little boat 2,000 years ago. Verse 16, now when evening came, His disciples went down to the sea, and after getting into a boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum, and it had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea began to be stirred up because of a strong wind that was blowing. When therefore they had rowed about three or four miles, they beheld Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat, and they were frightened. He said, he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. They were willing therefore to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at land to which they were going. Let's pray for a moment. Dear Father, oh Father, may we come to full spiritual attention here, because these truths about dealing with the storms of life can reroute how the rest of our life may unfold. Father, I pray that you would get me out of the way. Release your spirit in this place to deposit your transforming, protective truth into every receptive heart. And I pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's quickly reset the scene. Uh, the event of the storm happens just after one of my favorite Bible stories, the feeding of the 5,000. I like that story because everyone in it gets to loaf and fish. I mean, I just love the concept there. And uh, people had experienced an exquisite miracle. Jesus multiplied the bread and the fish, and the people were full and joyous. And no doubt the disciples wanted to stay there and simply bask in the joy of that miracle. But no, Jesus said, we got to go. You see, they were wanting to make him the king. And he said, we are leaving here. We're leaving the mountain of miracles. And he knew what was going to happen. He knew that he was thrusting them into a dark and terrible storm because Jesus wanted them to learn how to navigate difficulties. Have you realized that Jesus is not so much interested in our comfort as in our character being conformed to his? And the difficulties of life are God's carving knife and they pull away anything that does not look like Jesus. Look at verse 19 for just a moment. It simply states that the disciples were frightened in that boat. So just for a moment, would you activate your imagination, and I want you to step into that boat with them. We learn in a parallel passage in Mark chapter 6 that it was the fourth watch of the night. That means it's 3 a.m., so here are the disciples out in the water. They are in a small dinghy-like craft. There are 12 grown men in it, and the water is furious. They have no light to guide them. The clouds are thick and dark. It's probably raining. They're fearing the boat will capsize. The water is spraying over them, and it's cold, and they are starting to lose hope because they've been at it for four hours. They're making no progress. They don't even know where they are. So can you imagine the terror, the fear that starts to arise in your heart in a condition like that, knowing that you're in a body of water that's 9 by 13 miles, 
that is 600 feet deep and that you can't swim that far in the storm because you don't even know where you're going. So terror is beginning to grip their heart. So I want you to imagine that you are there with these friends. And I want you to freeze frame it for a moment and remember who these people are. These are the good guys. These are Jesus' intimate disciples. This is not Jonah disobediently running from the Lord as a pouting prophet. No, these are the guys that are doing the work of God. And yet, what are we learning here? Here's the great truth. These guys who are loyal to the royal are dealing with some great difficulty because no one is exempt. Even if you do what is right, you can still encounter a gut-wrenching crisis. Have you noticed that God's people and good people, they can come up with rheumatoid arthritis. They can get gout and shingles and be pronounced with cancer and have heart problems. They can have car wrecks and children who go astray. They can be robbed. They can lose their job. They can even lose their hope and their faith. I want you to understand that these were good people, and yet they were afraid because they were caught in the grip of the storm. So here's what I want you to understand. It may be calm for you right now, but come to full attention, take good notes, because life is a parade of problems. It is a series of storms. And it may be calm for you now, but I'll guarantee you, Jesus is right. The storms are coming. The thunder will crack. And the lightning and the, and the storm will roll in, and it will hurt you. The doctor will say, I'm sorry, we have bad news. The employer will say, I'm sorry, here's your pink slip. The loved one will say, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm compelled to go. The funeral home director will say, I'm so sorry for your loss. We'll help you deal with the grief as you bury your loved one. Friends, this is the fallen world that we live in, and these storms generate a feeling within all of us of being small and vulnerable, out of control. So here's the fair question. Where is Jesus in the storm? For the next few minutes, can I show you? This will change your perspective. Let me show you where is Jesus in the storm. Number one, the Savior was praying for them. Please make that note. Jesus was praying for them. We see, and I want to weave Mark 6 into this passage. In Mark 6, 46, after bidding them farewell, Jesus departed to the mountain to pray. What is Jesus doing? He is praying for the disciples. On countless occasions, I've had this experience. You have too. People come up to me and say, Jay, I'm praying for you. Just this Wednesday night, you know, the stars come out here on Wednesday night. Oh, I love Wednesday night prayer meeting at 6. And this lady comes up, and she just bear hugs me, and she says, Jay, I am praying for you. And it's as if this electric shock went through my system. It's as if this soothing wave began to cover my spirit because I knew she was praying for me. Do you remember when we had the crisis of terrorism, 9-11, what happened? Oh, George Bush arose, and He became the great comforter as he led us through that difficult time. And he was asked by a reporter who was astonished at how calm he was. He said, I can't imagine how calm you are with all these difficulties. He said, the only reason I'm calm is I know that tens of thousands of people right now are praying for me. But here's the great good news. Do you know who's really praying for you? Did you know that Jesus is praying for you? Would you write down Hebrews 7, 25? 
Hebrews 7.25. You see, here's the great truth. We learn in Hebrews that Jesus is the great high priest. Jesus is able to save forever those who draw near to God through Him, since He always makes intercession for them. Is that astonishing to know that Jesus loves you so much that He is your high priest praying for you? And do you know what He's praying for you? Would you write down Romans chapter 8, verse 27? It says, the Spirit of Jesus intercedes for the saints to help them do the will of God. That's why He's praying for you. He wants you to know and do His will so you can do His work and you won't waste your life. That's what He's praying for you. So the Lord is praying for them and for you. Number two, He's watching over them. Where was Jesus during the storm? He was watching over them. It says in Mark 6, verse 47, when it was evening, the boat was in the midst of the sea, and seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them about the fourth watch of the night, he went to them. Now, the fourth watch of the night is 3 a.m. It is cloudy. It's raining. They can't see anything except occasionally when the lightning crackles, there's enough light to see something. And Jesus is watching the disciples. Isn't that amazing? Did you know the Lord is watching you? As a matter of fact, we learn in Matthew 10, verse 29, Jesus said this, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground without the Father's awareness. So do not worry, because you are far more valuable than sparrows. So if God has his eye on the sparrow, do you know what he does? He's got his eye on you. He knows every hair on your head. He knows the difficulties that you face, the possibilities that are in front of you. He knows everything. Let me give you an illustration from the money in your wallet. Now, this is a dollar bill, and on the dollar bill, there is the United States seal. Uh, matter of fact, you've seen it. You've seen it many times, and it's fascinating. Do you know that's called the seeing eye of God at the top of the pyramid. I was a history minor in college. I love history. And I can tell you this, American history is based on the foundation of Christianity. Let me just give you one proof. When in 1776, on July the 4th, when we had declared independence, we wanted to come up with a national seal. Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, and John Adams were appointed as a committee to create that seal. It took them five years to come up with it. And this was finally adopted in 1782. This is the official seal of the United States government, and on top of it is a Christian symbol called the seeing eye of God. It is atop a pyramid that is unfinished with 13 levels representing the 13 colonies. And the sayings in Latin are very interesting. The first saying... Anut Coptus is he approves our undertaking. And the second one is a new order of the age has dawned. You see, God has orchestrated the development of our nation, and he will continue to do so because his eye is on you. It was Ethel Waters who made that song famous, His Eye is on the Sparrow. Oh, Ethel Waters was a lady who sang on countless Billy Graham crusades, and she had quite a testimony. She was born out of a terrible attack on her mother. She grew up in extreme poverty and difficulty. 
She came to know the Lord, and that changed everything because she replaced identifying herself with her pain and her past with who she was in Christ. And here is her trademark song, Why Should I Feel Discouraged? Why Should the Shadows Come? Why Should My Heart Be Lonely and Long for Heaven and Home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is He. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know He watches me. You see, that was her theme song because she knew the Lord would take care of her. And I'm here to tell you the Lord will take care of you. And for years in her home, in the hall, we had a picture that hung. And I liked it because it had been in my grandmother's house. It was this picture of an angel watching over two children that were crossing a rickety old bridge. And down below was a roaring stream. This picture became popular at the turn of the century. It was done by an anonymous German who created a postcard. It had no copyright on it, so people started to reproduce it. It was everywhere. I don't have a lot of memories of Addie Odeon Wolf's house, my grandmother, but I remember this picture in her hall, and so it had an emotional attachment to me. I think the author is a guy named Buck Rembrandt. I'm not sure that that's accurate, but, you know, it's not fancy art, okay, but it's instructional, it's inspirational. Because it basically personifies Psalm 91.11 that tells us God will put His angels to watch over us. Now, you may say, oh, that's just syrupy rhetoric. Does that have any root in the reality of Scripture? Oh, yes, it does. Because in Matthew 18.10, do you know what Jesus said? He said that the guardian angel of a child perennially stands in the presence of God. So if Jesus believed in guardian angels, sign me up. You see, this is a picture of the fact that God is watching us. The Scripture says in Proverbs, it says in Proverbs 19, or Proverbs 5, verse 21, the ways of a man are always before the eyes of the Lord. So I want you to know deep in your spirit that God sees you. He knows you. He cares about your circumstance. But let's do number three. Where is Jesus in the storm? He is walking beside them. Mark 6 tells us he came to them walking on the sea. Now, let me share with you a phenomenal, game-changing truth. You see, the disciples are frozen in fear. They think they're going to drown. And Jesus is walking on the source of their fear. <laughs> I mean, is that amazing? Jesus is walking on the water. They think the water is going to kill them. Jesus is walking on the source of your fears, friends. What are you terrified by? I remember when I was a little boy, I loved my dad. I idolized my dad. And on many occasions, we would go fishing on the Pertinalis River in Johnson City, Texas, where he grew up. And uh, one night, it was about 8.30, it was near dusk, and we were walking along, getting ready to go fishing. We'd eaten supper. And as we were going along the path beside the river, I heard that sing of a rattlesnake. I'd heard it many times before, and so my heart froze. I just had this deathly terror of rattlesnakes. I had dreams where rattlesnakes were all over me. Ooh, I just hate rattlesnakes. And my dad looks at this rattlesnake. He said, oh, Jay, boy, there's a rattlesnake. Picks up a stick, pops it on the head, and kills it dead. We just walked right on. We went fishing. I came home, and I told my mama, Mom, we killed a rattlesnake. <laughs> I was so proud that I was standing there when Daddy took care of it. You see, I knew when I was with my dad, he was fearless. 
and he would take care of me. I want you to understand, when you walk with your heavenly Father, when he is walking beside what you fear, that means you are going to be okay. What do you greatly fear? All of us fear death. You see, death is the ultimate enemy, and yet Jesus has already defeated death. He broke the backbone of death when that tomb was empty on Easter. That's what Paul could say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, almost with a mocking, taunting voice. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? And then he says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You see, when you are part of the Jesus family, you share his victory when you walk with him. Number four, speaking to them. Jesus came walking on the water, and we learn in Mark 6 that he said this, they were frightened, but he spoke to them, and he said, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Uh, Jesus gives them great encouragement. And when they heard his voice, that icy grip of fear melted off of their heart. Uh, have you ever been in the situation where you go to a kid's ball game or soccer game and you cheer for them? And that young person, when they hear the voice of their mom or dad cheering for them, they just run faster, they jump higher, they, tri- they uh, try harder because they are inspired. They're fired up by the voice of their parents encouraging them and cheering them on. I want you to know that's what your heavenly Father does for you. He speaks His word of encouragement. So today, if you're discouraged, listen to Jesus in John 16 say, friends, in this world, yes, there will be tribulation, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. I'm going to take care of you. That's why Jesus can say through the pen of Paul in Romans 8 verse 31, if I am for you, who can be against you? That's why the Scripture says, and Jesus whispers it to me so often, and and you may need a dose of it right now. He said, I will supply my strength so that you can do all things that you're called to do. Jesus speaks encouragement to us, and lastly, would you note, he is riding with them. In the storm, he is riding with them. Mark 6, 51 simply says, he got in the boat with them, and the wind stopped. Jesus came aboard. He became the captain of that ship. This sense of tranquility covered the disciples, and he guided them to their destination. And soon, in the darkness, they heard the bottom of their boat grind against the gravel of their destination. They were home. You see, the Lord Jesus gave the last command And it contains his sweetest, most precious promise. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I've told you. And I am going to be with you no matter where you go. You see, he will never leave you or forsake you. If he's the captain of your boat, he will be with you forever and guide you all the way home. Well, let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you so much for loving us, for seeing us, for caring about us, for speaking your word to us, even right now.
Thank you for sharing worship with us. We trust God has used this broadcast for your spiritual growth and encouragement. If this ministry has touched your life, please let us know. If you'd like to share in the cost of this broadcast, you may send your gifts and support to First Baptist Church. Your partnership with us will help strengthen and extend this ministry and will be greatly appreciated. And remember, when you are at the crossroads, follow Christ.